Well, friends, um, once upon a time, there was uh, a nation that was divided. Um, Rivaling factions had fractured any sense of unity. Name-calling had become common. I know this sounds like a fable, okay? Hang with me. Uh, Neighbors actually became hostile with one another when they simply disagreed on how to approach the different issues of their day. Most everyone was convinced that what was needed for this people was a strong win by their side, of course, that would somehow overthrow and crush the other side so that you could set up a legacy of rule and control of their group, of their party, which, of course, they believed would bring about peace and prosperity. Again, I know this is really hard to believe, but um, these people were convinced that, that the way to achieve their goal was to gain power over other people. It is the way of the world and has been since the dawn of civilization. Might makes right, is often said. Power wins battles and puts the winner in control to rule and to reign as they see fit. But in this once upon a time, the nation that was being divided and diminished had not really a very good chance of winning a power over kind of battle, but it didn't stop them from waging those Methods, So they would argue, they would debate, they would choose sides, and they would further divide, not realizing all the while that as they further divided, they had very little chance of ever coming together, because all sides hoped and prayed that a champion would emerge and lead them into power, so that once again, they would be a great superpower with power over other people. And at this point in the story, we have to ask, does this sound more like the story of today's United States or of the people of Israel back in the time of Jesus? See, in truth, this is the story of civilization and nations throughout the history of the world. And no matter what culture or position or place or nation we apply this to, the teaching that we are in, um, that Jesus is giving to his disciples that we are unpacking in these months. It's called the Upside Down Message of Jesus. That's our series. Either way, no matter what culture, his words are a challenge to the ways that we as a people approach power and influence. Because in his teaching, he turns upside down. He puts on its head the methods and the approaches that we as human beings simply gravitate towards. And so we're working through Matthew chapter 5. This section we're in right now is known as the Beatitudes, where the picture of what is happening here is that Jesus is on a hillside teaching just his disciples about the way things are done in the kingdom of God because they've seen a lot of power demonstrated through Jesus. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen people get really wildly wound up and excited and following him. The crowds are coming, and so they want to know, hey, how are we going to do this, Jesus? How, how's this going to work? We're, we're going to be in power pretty soon. And so Jesus begins to teach them the stark difference between the methods and ways of the kingdom of this world, which are about power over, and the methods and the ways of the kingdom of God, which sound very upside down are, and are in fact power under. It's not the way of the sword. It's not power over. It's the power of the cross. It's power under. And he begins in his teaching by saying very confusing things, especially if you think he's going to tell us how to win, how to rule and reign, what the kingdom of God is going to look like. He teaches this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which we looked at, and it means blessed are those who are broken. Blessed 
<laughs> are the broken. Next one is blessed are those who mourn. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean blessed are the bummed. It doesn't mean blessed are those who walk around sad all the time. It means blessed are those and blessed are you when you get out here on your outside, the things that are going on on your inside. Blessed are you when, when you get real and stop pretending when you get it out Blessed are you. That's the way to live in the kingdom, not hiding. The broken, Jesus is saying so far, and the ones who stop pretending, that's the way of my kingdom. That's the people who my power will flow through. And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 3 now where this teaching of Jesus is recorded, coming on to the third one in verse 3 where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then this week, we will look at the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Jim got us started on this last week. And and because this powerful idea of meekness is so counter, it is so upside down to what our culture and what I think of when I think of meek, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because it is very counter to what is practiced in the kingdoms of this world where we live. Um, And and again, didn't Jim do a great job last Sunday? He's on vacation now, well-deserved vacation. He led, co-led worship, he preached. I think he did the announcements and prayed, so yeah, yay, Jim. Heidi and I were able to get away and do a wedding in Virginia for a couple that we just really, really love, um, some, some great kids, and, and have a couple days to be together. So uh, we were gone, and the team uh, just made it easy for us. Um, and so Jim last week got us started on this one, Blessed Are the Meek. And I have to tell you, to be honest, when I'm reading this through, again, these sound sometimes like trite little sayings, Blessed Are the Meek? Honestly, I look at that passage and I think, huh, well, that's interesting. <clears throat> Meek, that sort, sort of sounds um, bland, right? Okay, it sounds bland. Let's look and see. What do the meek actually get? What do they get? Um, oh, it says here, they will inherit the earth. And I think, well, good. I don't want to inherit the earth anyway. Humanity's already destroying our planets. It's going to hell in a handbasket. So since I don't want to inherit the earth, I can skip the meek thing and read on, Right? Be nice, wouldn't it? But first of all, just a little sidebar here. The earth is not going to blow up and be annihilated. I know there's books that say so, but the Bible isn't one of them. (laughs) Um, Jesus is going to restore the earth. In Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He doesn't say I'm, you know, going to make all new things. He's restoring it. That's the kingdom of God. This is a whole different teaching. But suffice it to say that when we hear the phrase inherit the earth, it's not a small thing. Because when the rule and reign of God finally and fully comes one day on this planet, then it really will mean something to inherit the earth. So, blessed are the meek. And again, it sounds kind of soft, doesn't it? Honestly, when I hear the word meek, I associate it with a word that it rhymes with. Meek is weak, right? See, okay, not just me. Um, And we have to remember that all of these sayings, all of the beatitudes that Jesus is teaching, he is saying to us, the kingdom of God is shown to the rest of the world when these things are on display. So my idea with that, that 
that I'm trying to reconcile that the kingdom of God is shown to the rest of the world when the hearts of meek people are displayed, that's a little weird. Um, And honestly, just with my own personality type, uh, it's not terribly appealing. I mean, if... If you were walking by a group of people and they were talking about you and you heard them say, you know, heard somebody say, oh, Dalton, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's really meek. Like, how would you feel about being described that way? Not, not as Dalton, right, yeah. Yeah, but being meek, right? Or if you were going to meet somebody for the first time and somebody said, oh, yeah, they, they're, they're really meek, how would you feel about meeting this person? Would you feel excited? Would you go, am I even going to like them? Um, Single people in the room, would the meek person, if that's how they were described, would they be marriage material? Like, oh, yes, I really want to marry someone who's meek, right? um, Maybe even a harder question to ask around this. If someone was known as meek, would you want to follow them into battle? Right? No way. I mean, if I'm going to war, it's got to be somebody that can come through when the chips are down. That doesn't sound meek. And honestly, because... Most of our culture thinks that meek is weak, that meek is feeble. We tend to think, we tend to think of a person, a meek person, as someone who's nice, but not strong. They're someone who doesn't take a stand, they won't take a risk, and they would never hurt a fly. And because of the mistaken notion that our culture and me, what I have when I initially think of the word meek, um, what it means is I think, well, you know, I would go to the, uh, I'd go to the library with Meek. <laughs> um, I'd go fishing with Meek. Uh, I would go bird watching with Meek. I wouldn't go bird watching or fishing with Meek because, <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not like that, right? Um, I, might even, I might even sometimes want to pray with Meek. If I wanted an afternoon of quiet reflection, I would choose Meek, Right? but I wouldn't pick Meek to play on my football team. If I was in a tough situation, I wouldn't choose Meek. I wouldn't want Meek Meek to lead us into battle. And even our current dictionary doesn't speak of the word Meek um, very well. It says this, Meek is overly submissive or spiritless, deficient in courage. So match that up with what Jesus is saying, and we'd have to say, so (laughs) wait a minute, Jesus, you're saying blessed are the deficient in courage? Blessed are the cowardly? Blessed are the spineless? And we only have to get to this place before we go, if we're a follower of Jesus, before we have to go, okay, listen, something's missing. We're missing something, right? This word must actually mean something different And so what we want to do is look back and understand what the word meek meant when Jesus originally spoke it. And thankfully, with a little study, we can get a better picture of what meek is. Now, I'm not a big, well, I'm a little bit of a nerd um, when it comes to Greek, but I try not to, you know, throw the words out there. But I do like studying this stuff. Um, And uh, I'll have to admit that Dave Johnson sent me down this path. Um, But in the Greek language, the word in the New Testament Um, that is used for meek, and I'm getting a little bit of ring. Troy, can you help me with that? A little bit of something back here. So in the New Testament, um, the New Testament, sorry, it was written in 
Greek, and one great thing about the Greek language is that their, their words are very precise, they're very expressive, and so when the Greek people developed a word, they not only gave it a careful definition, but they often illustrated the word, like gave us a great picture for it, okay? So, in the culture and language that Jesus used that the New Testament was written in, meek did not mean weak. Is that not good news, right? Okay, okay, that's good news, right? The word used for meek was used in several ways in the Bible and in that culture, and here's one, one that we're gonna look at. Meek is a soothing medicine and a gentle breeze. Soothing medicine and a gentle breeze. That's the picture for actual meekness. And the ancient Greek physicians, um, they would use soothing medicine, right? And, And... And that can be helpful, right? Medicine can be helpful. The proper medicine and the proper amount of medication will bring a raging fever under control, but also too much medicine, and um, it will kill the patient, or too little medicine, and it will have no effect. So we want the proper amount, the soothing medication, and I think that gives us some perspective on what Jesus is teaching here. And if we keep looking at this word meek in scripture, we discover that the word meek, again, what I mentioned a minute ago, it it is also used to describe a gentle breeze, a gentle breeze. And I really like that one too. Um, Any fans of the ocean here? Anybody wish they could be at the ocean right now? Yes. If we just transport quick funnel, come on back. Um, When it gets to be this time of the summer here in Arizona, I start to wish that I could escape to the ocean for a quick weekend. Okay, for a whole month. Okay, the whole summer, right? Anybody, right? It would be really nice. Um, But those of you that enjoy the ocean, just think of a gentle breeze, a gentle breeze on the ocean front along a beautiful stretch of beach on a perfect day. So the wind as a gentle breeze, it's the kind of wind that's actually helpful that it's beneficial, it's just the right amount. And we know that wind can go either way, right? It can be the right amount or it can go way too far and wind can be destructive when it turns into a tornado or a hurricane or a raging storm. But for this word, this word meek, it describes a gentle breeze on the ocean during a calmer day a gentle breeze. That's a really good picture of meekness right right there, okay? And for me, once I see those things, I go, okay, now we're kind of getting somewhere, aren't we? Like, and it makes way more sense in the context of Jesus' teaching that we've been digging into this month, not just this verse, but the two verses we've already looked at, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? The broken is what that means. They're the ones who get amazing grace, Uh, The second one was blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who stop pretending, who get real. They are the ones that get comfort and freedom. And I think of it that way. And you know, when I'm the one who needs to mourn, when I'm the one who is hurting, when it's me who's in those shoes, I wanna run into somebody who's gonna be gentle with my heart. So, so, so when I finally stop saying, you know, the right thing, and instead I say the real thing, when I stop pretending about my pain or my sin and I get the stuff to the outside that was inside, what I hope to encounter is someone who's a gentle breeze. 
I hope to be with someone who is soothing medicine. I want to meet up with actual meek. Because it's not always that way, is it? Um, can you think of times? I mean, I sure can think of times <laughs> when it wasn't that way, where, where I was down or struggling or not doing well or depressed, and I ran into a person calling themselves a Christian, and I'm sure they were, but they were anything but gentle. They were anything but soothing. They were instead fixers with pat answers and formulas. Or maybe I got condemned or judged when I shared the difficult thing or the sin I was struggling with. Um, they were more like abrasive sandpaper, people who are often petty or self-obsessed or insensitive, not at all meek. So I got that stuff on the outside, and if I ran into somebody or you ran into someone who wasn't meek, um, not good. And sometimes we make a vow, I will never get that out again. I will never trust. And people live in prisons of not trusting because they ran into someone who was not meek or soothing or kind. By the way, this is why uh, it's a way better idea when you're going through something to see Heidi, especially the latest, to see Heidi than me, right? She is <laughs> soothing medicine. Um, I'm abrasive-ish sandpaper sometimes, yes. Um, but think about it. When you find yourself broken and hurting... Don't you want to fall, in, fall into the, the arms of a kingdom-hearted person, not a religious person? This, this soothing medicine, this gentle breeze picture, it starts shifting my understanding of this meek thing, and I start finally to appreciate what Jesus is saying in this particular beatitude. But there's more. There's more. And those two things are great. And this next one is going to kick us into probably a couple weeks. <laughs> I didn't think it was until uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, another way that this meek word was used was in the taming or training of a wild animal, especially uh, like a horse. Um, the word describes a wild stallion, let's see, a wild stallion which has been domesticated. So think of the furious energy of a stallion who has now been harnessed and will cooperate and obey commands. Um, and that's not weak at all, is it? That's not weak at all. That's not fragile or pathetic. What that really means is that true meekness is power under control. Power under control. That's what true meekness is. Think about this, when a, when a rancher gets a, a new horse that's not been trained, it's wild, it's untamed, it's beautiful to look at. Anybody go out and see the Salt River horses sometimes? If you haven't, you need to, probably not this time of the year, but um, just amazing. We love to go out there and, and, and see these amazing, amazing untamed wild horses. But if you are a rancher and, and you own a horse and it's that way, um, that's not so wonderful <laughs> on your farm. That's not so great. Um, that horse wouldn't be much use to its owner. In fact, that horse sometimes is destructive and breaks things and uh, knocks things over and can hurt other people or animals. But once the horse is, and I'm going to use the word broken here, but I'll qualify it in a moment. Once the horse is broken, 
And again, that's just an interesting word. The horse is broken because when you think about Jesus teaching here, blessed are the poor in spirit means blessed are the broken, right? So once the horse is trained and broken, this horse is an amazing gift to its, its owner. And by the way, I use, I hesitate a little bit in using that, you know, all these illustrations break down somewhere, right? And I hesitate to use the word broken because I think far too often we as Christians just automatically think when hard things happen, it's that God is trying to break us. Um, And I think that is almost never the case, actually, friends, right? Um, Life in this world and sin is enough on its own to break us. Jesus is trying to heal us. He's here to restore us. And, And... God doesn't want to break his children. Like he will discipline us. He will help us learn. He will put us in a training path, but he doesn't punish us. The New Testament doesn't use the word punish in relation to God's children at all. Not at all. So God does discipline us, which is to help us learn, but that's way different than punishing us or breaking us to make us pay. That is not the heart of the Father for us. And in fact, many horse trainers today, uh, and I talked to one yesterday, um, prefer to use the word, instead of breaking, they'll say training or conditioning a horse over breaking a horse. In fact, I did. I talked uh, yesterday to one of my best friends. Uh, He's in Montana, and they have some horses on their property that they own. And Dr. Joe said some really great things. Uh, He said, A horse is a blank slate. You have to train them for everything. The problem is, he said, they are by nature a flight animal. When something happens, right, they take off. And so I asked him, well, then, if you got to train them for everything, then how do you train them so they don't take off and throw you every time they encounter something new? And he said this, they have to trust you. They have to trust you. And you develop a bond with this horse. He said the trust actually ends up going both ways. Once we know each other, she knows that I'm not going to hurt her. And she knows I'm not going to, uh, I know she's not going to hurt me. And so you end up with a horse that is eventually trained. It's power under control. And think of this, a horse that is trained is not passive, right? This is still a mighty animal, like 1,500 pounds, sometimes 2,000 pound animal being controlled by, you know, one of his daughters, I'm sure Anna weighs like 100 pounds, right? Um, She can control, train, lead, guide this horse that's way bigger than her, but this horse is not now passive. That horse, if it was trained by a good trainer, Any horse, if trained well and by a good trainer, they're not destroyed, they're not broken. No, this horse now cooperates. It it submits to the will of another because there's a bond, there is a trust, there's a connection there. That is power, still powerful, but now under control. We might think of it in the Christian life as submitted to the lordship of Jesus, his way, his kingdom, Power under control. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who know that they are powerful and they use their power for good. Like a cool breeze, like soothing medicine, like 
like a trusted horse, strong and helpful. That is what a kingdom of God person, a meek person in the true definition, that is what we look like when we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. See, part of the problem for me before I understood more deeply what this whole meekness thing meant is that, that I used to wonder, like, well, in order to be a kingdom of God person, in order to be a follower of Jesus and be a, a Jesus person, does that mean I have to give up all power and just be passive in order to actually be meek? Um, but think of these three images and pictures we just used. Um, does medicine give up power to cure the sick? Does it give up power to cure the sick or does it use its power in a controlled way? Um, How about this? Does the wind give up power to push the sailboat across the sea or does it use its power in a controlled way? And does the horse give up power when it's trained to its owner's prompts or does it use its power in a controlled way now? See, I don't think that a person gives up all their power and can no longer be a powerful person and is just passive and that's what meekness is because no, no, I I believe that, that instead what we do is we let God have the reins of our life and the power, the influence, the gifts that he has already given us We now put them under his direction. We walk according to his path, his way. And so we steward the gifts that he gives us. We steward the influence or the power so that we can accomplish good and productive things instead of causing harm and destruction. And I believe that's what Jesus is getting at here. And in fact, we see this teaching all throughout the gospels all throughout the New Testament and the Old. But I believe that Jesus in this passage is just another place where he's saying to us, if you want to follow me, if you want to operate in the ways of the kingdom of God, it's going to look very, very different and counter to how life in the kingdom of this world looks. Smart preachers would quit right now, but I'm going to meddle. Um, And I'm talking to me. So maybe some of you too. And by the way, I don't read a lot of Facebook, so don't worry that I'm attacking anyone in this room's posts. I really just have to stay mostly away from it. But I want you to do this. When thinking about meekness and power under control, just pay attention. Like it's so easy to get sucked into the ways of the kingdom of this world. Just pay attention this week. um, How we can get sucked in, especially through social media um, or through uh, commentary or debates on the hot button issues in our world right now. Just watch how easily we slide into stuff that we think is normal. Well, this is my personality, right? This is acceptable, even though if we had to line it up with what Jesus invites us to live as a follower of him, uh, it's totally opposite. It's very counter, but we just shrug because it's just normal in our culture to, right? Just, ah, everybody does it. I mean, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it to them. They said it this way, so I'm going to respond the same way I have a right to. I, can, I have freedom of... Just watch how easy it is for us to do this. I mean, if you're on social media, just watch how the conversation goes when there's a disagreement on perspectives on a hot-button issue. 
I mean, is the conversation that you read or are a part of, is it full of respect and honor between the two sides? Like Second Peter talks about having honor for who? Everyone. <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. Is it full of honor and respect? Or... I mean, I haven't, I've seen a couple examples of honoring, and Troy's really good at honoring and respecting people. I am not, which is part of why I don't get into it. So, um, like, how about this? When the topic of race comes up, do we see that people are full of humility, that we're ready to listen and to learn, or do we get defensive and react? Um, I read a post between, um, I gotta be careful to keep them anonymous. Someone, someone that we are, are very close to who's not a follower of Jesus posted something um, and in a very respectful way, uh, just, hey, here's an article I read. And there was a picture on the article. Uh, there was other things going on, but there was a picture of something that said Black Lives Matter, but that's not even what the article was on. It was not what the article was on. And then a um, very well-meaning Christian, pretty sure they didn't read the article because um, the article didn't even talk about this. They used that as a platform to start ranting and railing about the bad things that the Black Lives Matter organization stands for. And again, I just thought, I was like, oh, why does that have to be a Christian that's that's ranting and railing against somebody that we are praying will start following Jesus someday. Because the conversation wasn't even about that. The heart of the person posting it was putting something out there that didn't have anything to do with the organization at all. Now listen, there are dif differences and disagreements on the Black Lives Matter as an organization. But why get all defensive and react about that? Can we look for the heart behind it that someone else is trying to connect or identify with? How do, we, how do we do that, whether or not we think we want to be supporting the organization behind whatever issue or not? How can we approach it without chiming in and turning it into a browbeating session? And by the way, like, guys, I'm guilty of this too, right? Because as soon as I start looking at blessed are the meek and I look at myself and I look at myself in the mirror and how I don't often behave the way Jesus invites me to, it, it's, oh, it's so maddening. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Right? Don't you hate it when Jesus messes with our stuff? <laughs> I'm fine to just go on doing what I want to do and saying what I want to say and ah, I'd rather do that. I don't like it when Jesus challenges me with something really annoying like humility or meekness. I don't want to be humble or meek. I want to be right. And I want you to know that I'm right. Right? Yeah, thank you. Good. The problem is I find myself when I do that, entering into a power game that I don't even realize I'm necessarily getting into and I decide that it's okay for me to not treat others with honor. Again, Second Peter talks about treat everyone with honor. My goodness. I don't want to do that. I want to power up. And when I power up, friends, that's where I have to go, oh, man, I am stepping outside of the way that Jesus says is the right way to live. And I don't understand it fully because it looks weak still, even when I know these other things. But will I say, Jesus, you know what? You are Lord. 
I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to humble my heart. Um, how about with how we parent? Boy, it's way easier as a parent, whether your kids are little or adults. Man, it's so hard sometimes to treat your kids with honor. Is it true as they get older or is it harder when they're younger? Any of you that have been through the, I'm seeing nodding heads. <laughs> so hard to treat our kids, <laughs> both, yeah. So hard to treat our kids with honor. Um, they're supposed to honor us. They're not honoring me. I'm not gonna honor them. Like, oh, I don't. I'd rather power up because I'm the adult. I'm the parent. How about how we don't honor and behave in meek ways toward our spouse. We're arguing, I'm right, she's wrong. If she would just realize I'm right, everything would be okay. Can I get an amen? I even heard a woman say amen. Yeah, my wife is thumbs down in me, yeah. That's the right response, yeah. See, it's so much easier to just power up, uh, so much easier to manipulate or try to control our spouse or our family member or the people we work with. And oftentimes the reason that we don't wanna go down the pathway that Jesus invites us to is because we don't wanna put our power and opinions under his lordship, under the rule and reign of Jesus and trust that he is Lord, he is king. He actually knows what he's talking about when he says, this is the way, walk in it. Meekness is the way? So we've got some work to do about this, friends, because if we want to find the path to life, which is what Jesus means in all these statements when he says, blessed are you, he's saying, you will find life when you live this way instead of the way that the world holds up that's all about power over and dominating and arguing and controlling and yelling and that's not the path to life. The path to life in my kingdom, Jesus says is far different than the path of the kingdom of this world. And so I think we have to pay attention. Here's where it gets a little practical. I want us to pay attention this week to our impact on people around us. If you're brave, probably braver than me, maybe ask those closest to you, how do you experience me? What is my impact on you? And then shut up and let them speak. Am I a gentle breeze? Am I a source of comfort? Am I power under control? Um, do I keep myself under control? Do I manage me? How am I impacting this? I want to close with, uh, with this and a scripture here. Because um, we'll get into more of this in the weeks to come. But I want to remind us as we go, listen, friends, the meek person still has power. You're not passive. You can still fight. You can still be aligned with the kingdom of God and rebel. You can be subversive. You can still stir up conflict. Just look at some examples of Jesus. But instead, with that ability, the kingdom of God person now harnesses that power, that control or those influences, and we use it under God's direction. We let God be responsible for the outcomes. We ask him to direct us, to take the reins of our life and direct us saying, Jesus, you are Lord. It's your kingdom. We come under your rule and reign. You get to call the shots, Jesus. Um, 
Listen to this uh, quote here. Meekness is a change of our heart that finally and completely causes a person to believe in, trust, and depend on, and obey God and God alone. Will I come under his rule and reign? Will I stop just trusting in me and my ability and my need to control and my need to call the shots because I'm the one who knows? It means I stop trusting in my ability to make things happen. I submit to the rule and reign of God. I ask him to show me the gifts, abilities, influences, um, and how to use the power that he has given to me, to us, in a way that honors him. As the worship team comes, I want to read from Philippians chapter 2 because Jesus modeled this whole idea of meekness and power under. And this passage is a great example of that. Let this mind be in you. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's pretty much the descent. And verse 9 says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was God, could have done anything but he didn't manipulate, he didn't demand, he didn't use power over, he didn't remind everybody he was the boss, he didn't threaten people, then remind them, hey, I'm in charge. He didn't guilt trip people, he didn't grasp at power. What did he do? He made himself nothing. Now that's power under control. That glimpse of power under control makes the horse thing look like nothing, right? Getting a horse to let you saddle him is nothing compared to a God who will descend from the highest of all places and become nothing because of his love for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's power under control. So when Jesus is inviting us to live this way, it's something that he has already done and already modeled. He's saying, blessed are you, Meek people, blessed are you when you display power under control because when you show that kind of heart to the world around you, it displays the kingdom of God. It shows his story is going forward, invading our world. And so that's what Jesus invites us to. And our prayer that I would love for us to be praying and examining this week. I'm gonna give us a moment to do it as the worship team begins. I'm gonna ask them to play for a minute before they start the song. But here's the questions that I would love to be our guide for the week. And this is where I'm going with this as well. So we can be in this together. Jesus, how are you calling me to follow you and your way in my approach to life? How are you calling me to follow you and your way in my approach to life? in my approach to relationships? How are you calling me to follow you in how I approach conflicts and disagreements? And how are you calling me to follow you so that 
the people who need to experience your healing grace can experience your healing grace through me. Just spend a moment asking him, listening, and then we'll sing together. Jesus, I pray that these questions would ring in our hearts, that you would speak to us, and that we would listen, that we would submit our lives to your rule and reign. Because Jesus, you are Lord, you are the king of our hearts. May we run to you. May we trust even when we don't other understand, because sometimes laying down our rights feels like we're gonna die. But it is in fact the path to life. So we trust you, Jesus, because you are, you are good.